I think what happened is a lot of like the wars happened. Our dads went to war or their dads went to war or there were like some epigenetic shit from war. And so our role models have been for what a strong man is, is actually what it looks like when you're when you have like PTSD. and welcome to the Two Lads Podcast. It's episode 19 with Duncan Trussell. Duncan is a comedian, a psychonaut. He's got a fabulous uh, Netflix show called Midnight Gospel, I think it is, or The Midnight Gospel. Uh, basically, it's him talking about acid trips um, to animations, like a cartoon almost. Um, it's a brilliant idea and we love it. We love it. We've, we've really enjoyed watching it. So go check it out after you've listened to this podcast. Um, we talk about psychedelics. We talk about his feelings on masculinity. We talk about Ram Das, Buddhism, him moving from Los Angeles to North Carolina. Lots of good stuff. It was really fun. He's hilarious. He's also very deep and uh, a beautiful man. Um, I was a bit sick, so I sound a little bit like Barry White, but don't let that put you off. And um, other than that, let's get right into the episode. No more faffing around. Here's the Two Lads Podcast, episode 19, with Duncan Trussell, right now. Duncan, how, look, I, I before before we get into the deep existential stuff I want to ask you about, I was going to ask you, I know you moved to Indiana, right? Asheville. Asheville. North Carolina. Cool. Yes. North Carolina. And then you were like, fuck this, I don't want to do this anymore, I'm going back. Is that true? That's exactly where we're at right now. Is that really? Yes, we're, thinking- we're 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 going to do one more winter here, and then uh, we're moving to back to LA. Thank God, in the <laughs> spring <laughs> didn't work out because me and my girlfriend have had your exact thought, which was like, yeah, we could do the, you know, we could live out in a bit of country. You know, do we even like the city anyway? Is it like is LA really the place? And then I listened to you go, nah, fuck this. Actually, I'm going back to LA, and I was like, oh, that's probably oh what god, I if I saved you from from, the, I mean, it's you just. I, you know, it seems like it would work because everyone's right. working remotely right now. And, you know, there's so much you could do online. And But yeah, it's a fantasy. It's not real. I mean, you yeah. have to really look into, your, into yourself and all the things that love a city and all the things that love, like, just yeah. the many incredible things that go along with being in a city and the shitty things, which you, if you really, if I look at myself, I really kind of loved some of those shitty things right, in yeah. retrospect, you know, like yeah. there was something nice about it in its own you, way. You missed yeah, it. Yeah, you just you can't missed adapt. It. Yeah, you missed I could, it. you might be able to. No, that's, uh, that's like, I, I guess like, cause I've been, you know, uh, as I listen to some of your stuff, it's also like, I, I feel like I am a big one for the, 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 you know, push the samsara of like pushing everything on and being, oh yeah, no, that'll do it. Right. Yes. That's what that'll do it. If I go to the country and I live out in a thing and with yeah. nature and, but yeah. I kind of like that you, you were like, I actually miss some of the shitty things about living in a city. I think that's quite, yeah. I'm like, oh, maybe I do fucking could do that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, clearly it's a subjective um, 
decision that you have to make, you know, or who knows, you might really get out in the country and be like, oh my God, this is right. exactly where I needed to be. What do they, they call it the mode of goodness. Right. Uh, you, you know about that? The mode no. of, so it's like uh, in, in bhakti yoga, the Hare Krishnas, they break the universe into three modes of material nature uh, called the gunas. And this is the mode of ignorance, the mode of passion and the mode of goodness. And so the mode of ignorance is like, um, you know, late stage alcoholism, uh, high, like, like super depression where like, you're just living in filth, like hoarder shit. That's yeah. the, you're paralyzed. You're just stuck in this kind of hellscape that you're creating around you. The mode of passion is the city. And that's like, you know, ambitious people and like people just trying to, you know, do whatever it is they're passionate, passionate about. And so that's the city. And then the mode of goodness is the country and the forests and stuff. And so each of these uh, modes, you know, people spiral through them in a single day, you know, yeah. you'll, you'll go from one to the, it's not like they're permanent. And even the day gets broken up into these modes, but yeah, the, the prescription to live in the country, um, you know, in a kind of monastic way, I think assumes that you really want to do that. Like you're ready for that and you're drawn to it right. versus the, you know, spiritual materialist idea, which I certainly had, which is like, you know, I'll just, that's, that's who I want to be. Right. So I'll pretend that that's who I am. And then right. Did, <laughs> right, that right. not who you are. Did that, was <laughs> yeah. that, is that because... You couldn't get like. Have you found it hard to be the ambitious self while you're there? Is that is that one of the downsides of being, you know? Out you know what? I got kids, so I what? I have don't even have the luxury. <laughs> I used to before I had kids. Uh, you know, I would just skip a podcast a week. I would like email my the podcast network and be like, ah, tell the ads. I'm sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm late by a week. You know, I had a very sort of lackadaisical approach to stuff. Now I can't, it doesn't matter where I'm at. I've got a, you know, I have deadlines and yeah. stuff that I have to do. So no, it, it did not affect my ambition at all. Mm. And maybe that's another part of the problem. Did it not like, line up? So, so when you went out there, what was, what didn't land for you that's made you decide to go back to the metropolis? Well, I mean, it's hubris, like it was just pure pride <laughs> And ego, <laughs> my wife and I thought that we could go away from all of our friends and that I've known for years, go away from the comedy club that I, I would perform at a few times a week, go away from just our lives, from everything mm. and just be fine. You know, in my mind, I'm like, I'll see him online. It's what's the difference? Because by the time we split, it was already six months into the pandemic. And so we were all kind of used to remotely communicating Anyway, it was, it was just a lot of dumb, like basic, dumb, <laughs> ignorant mistakes. Like we don't need, we'll make new friends. <laughs> right. Like the ones that took a decade to make. No, we'll right. do that again in some place during a pandemic. It'll be easy. <laughs> right. You know? So that's the core of it. It's really just community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, not that there's wonderful people here. And I, I have made some friends here that, that I love, but, you know, it's just uh, nothing can compare to your 
core group of friends that yeah. you've cultivated over. Yeah. It takes a lot to get. It takes time. a lot to build that, and when you have it, it's such a such a precious thing to maintain. Um, we've been yeah. talking yeah. about doing this, and as Daniel just mentioned, like doing similar what you've done, and it's like. The only way that it really makes sense is if you do a full exodus and everybody goes and commits to the commune, essentially, you know, and you go and do it that way. And then you, because then you're living with the, the, the like five to 10 people that live in your life constantly. And then wherever... Oh, well, now you're a cult. Well, yeah, that's well, the next... That's thing. what yeah, we yeah. do. That's what we're trying to do. We're Duncan. trying to get that's you that's 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 on this call. Awesome. <laughs> no, that's cool. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, I'm joking about the cult. Ramdas would do that. You know, there was... That Ramdas satsang would travel all around yeah. together, and yeah. I think there's something quite beautiful about yeah, that. Definitely, and um, super cool. And also, it's this. There's a very uh, natural uh, desire to sort of uh, ascribe permanence to your situation, you know. So it's like you can't. You don't have to leave forever. Mm. You can go for six months. Go experiment. This is another crazy thing my wife and I did. Is we're like, we'll just fucking go there. We were so sick of LA. We're just going to go up there to the country. She was pregnant and have the baby up there, like outside of a big city. And I'm really glad. I mean, I, honestly, it was like a perfect place to weather the pandemic. And, you know, knowing now, having a, obliterated the country fantasy yeah. has been really good for both of us. Well, it's kind of like one of those things you tick. I mean, I'm glad you did it for me because uh, I don't <laughs> have to do that. <laughs> but it is one of those things that um, that feels, I guess, like I was saying before, right? Like uh, this, there's something in us, well, something in me anyway, that has something that feels like, oh, that there is a place where we'll feel better, right? There's a, there's a place that we'll feel. And I know you're a big proponent actually of just sitting in what is and then yeah. and then and not actually going for those things that uh, you know I, I we're artists and and so we're kind of our creation of community and not being able to work during the pandemic was like a really beautiful thing actually in the in for us um mm. and taught me a lot about sitting with self and um yeah. and I was you know I was struck by how how on a treadmill I had been my whole life. And this is, you know, and then I was like going, oh, I was looking at North Carolina and then I was looking at like, you know, Colorado and I was going, well, that'll, that'll do it. When, when I'm there, that, that will be the perfect right. place. And that, so it's, it's just like, I guess it's quite a, a nice thing to know that in some way you've lived out my fantasy and uh, <laughs> I hate yeah. you over there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I definitely, um, you learned a lot about spiritual bypass, you know, sort of like this, there's a fantasy I think yeah, people have yeah. uh, regarding who they think they are versus who they actually are. Mm -hmm. And also the problem is that you can trick yourself, right? You can find yourself in a, in a place you don't like, and you can, you can do the thing where you're like, Oh, this is a lack of spiritual discipline. And the reason I don't like this place is because I haven't achieved inner tranquility. Because if I had inner tranquility, then I would see that tranquility yeah. all around me, regardless of my circumstance. And this could be true. Mm. It's a lot like uh, when I decided I was going to start doing deadlifts at the gym. <laughs> I had a trainer and, he, and, and I'm like, I'm going to do deadlifts now. And he was no, he'd been training me. He's like, you're... 
I don't know. Maybe we'll just like keep doing regular exercises. They're not even, no, I'm going to do it. And then I fuck my back up for <laughs> yeah, years yeah. from that, that level of thinking, oh, no, 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 this is where I'm at mm-hmm. versus, no, I, I can't do fucking deadlifts. I've got scoliosis. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what am I doing? And not only that, but I, I haven't practiced the form. So, you know, I think there's a, uh, it's okay to be unhappy with where you're at and to mm. fix that situation by moving your physical body from that place to the place that you want to go. Mm. You know, it's okay to do that. It doesn't mean that you're something's off with you or that you haven't practiced enough or anything like that. Sometimes it's time yeah. to go. I think mm. it's actually necessary to do that personally because that's how you find out. You know, you 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 kind of push it out a little bit further and you see, oh, am I ready or not? Where am I? And if you're staying yeah. constantly where you know you are all the time, you're not actually realizing what needs to be done, if you see what I'm saying. It's a bit of a paradox, but you have to do it. Yes. Absolutely. I exactly. That's it. That that's the that's it. And the, you know, as much as we sort of had all kinds of trouble out here, the ultimately like we found this great therapist and mm-hmm. those are like amazing to find mm-hmm. and so uh that has just been like one of the like that's something i i would is that's irreplaceable the work we've been doing with this person and the um yeah so there's a lot of we had our baby here there's a lot of great things that happen mm-hmm. you know it's like comfort what is it going to do for you right like being comfortable it's okay when you're on vacation or something like that. But yeah, if you're always putting yourself in comfortable places, yeah. What, what are you going to turn into Mm. a comfortable person, Mm. you know, and what's exciting about that, right? You have to like always be hopefully challenging where you think, you know, experimenting with Mm. your boundaries. I mean, I know it's the most obvious thing to say, but it's so incredibly easy to forget that. Mm. And then before you know it, a year has passed, two years have passed and nothing, nothing, you know, you're just stagnant. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone and live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It is much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. The Two Lads podcast listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash two lads. That's betterhelp.com slash two lads. To segue into, I just wanted to ask you this question because Daniel and I, the way that we've met, we met, um, we met through a community of plant medicine journey people. Wow. Um, and that's kind of where our relationship started originally and it's developed over the years into what it is today. Um, and before that, I didn't really have a good sense of God and um, spirituality in, in general. And I've just, yeah. I've been looking at your, some of your your uh, YouTube stuff and, and your podcast and everything like that. And um, a lot of... Uh, drug or medicine experience that you've had obviously and I wanted to ask you like was there a period where you started to see or did you find God in drugs is the question 
Oh yeah, I mean yeah. I mm. this this you know this distinction. Uh, I think a lot about the prohibition that we're just coming. Hopefully, we're coming out of yeah, and how much of our way of thinking about our drug experiences has been shaped by the state's uh, stigmatization of these substances. Yeah. So this has created a kind of a bizarre sacred versus profane mm. sort of, uh, you know, uh, w- w- way that people have of thinking about these visionary states that they're experiencing uh, via some psychoactive plant medicine, whatever it may be. And I, I so many times I talk to people and, and they seem to have some doubt regarding the vision that they had or the experience that they had because the vision came with the help of some substance yeah. mm. versus, I guess, going out in the desert and fasting or, you know, inducing some kind of endogenous psychedelic uh, state of consciousness through, you know, all the various ways, holotropic breath work or something. So I think that it's kind of, yes, absolutely. Can you find God and psychedelics? Certainly you can. I, I think... Uh, you certainly are going to experience a redefinition of your identity. Mm. And and I think for a lot of people that can be very liberating and can, and, and can be the thing that gives them the sort of expansiveness they need to start contemplating ideas like God or love or compassion yeah. or interdependence, these sorts of things, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like a, you know, f- for me, Duncan, it, it was like you say, it was it was seeing the world from a different point of view, which I'd I'd never had. Right, I'd always assumed that this point of view w- was right, first of all, right, and also that anything else was a, a version of of wrong, and and that there wasn't a possibility for another reference point. Yeah, having that reference, point. but one one thing that you described that I really liked is is, is a moment of of what you call goneness, right? Where you, where you leave you that, and it's happened to me in, in plant medicine, uh, you know, ketamine journeys and, and also actually being knocked unconscious, right? There, there are moments yeah. of just to- like where you go out the back of your own brain yeah, and you suddenly go, Oh, f- like, fuck, this is a, just, this is just a, without all of these reference points that my brain has made up, what is this? What is the self? And who is entertaining the self and all of that stuff? Did you, was it, when did you come to it? And what was your experience with kind of the first, the first kind of iterations of that? Because it's quite a scary experience for some people. Yeah. Well, I think the scary experience is related to maybe, uh, I mean, I, I'm not trying to encourage like oh, people overdosing, but generally that's, if you're feeling that fear, yeah, you haven't quite gone gone away yet because <laughs> right, there's right. still some part of you that's clinging to yeah. reality. And it's the clinging part that makes the bad yeah. trips happen mm-hmm. for sure. It's the, mm. which I, you know, I, I don't mean, I don't mean to imply it's easy to let go, by the way, when you find yourself mm. in some psychedelic cyclone and you're holding on to some last vestige of reality with like a death grip and you you, you couldn't let go if you tried. It's a bit like hanging on to an electric fence or something like that. Mm. But there are states that I've reached through psychedelics where 
I remember like suddenly coming back into my human incarnation again mm. and not really knowing where I had been just before that, you mm. know? And, and so I think that's, that sort of unit of consciousness is, um, maybe what they're talking about, uh, in Buddhism, when they talk about fundamental goodness, mm. this idea that, uh, humans are fundamentally good or like in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, when Krishna is talking about the soul, um, the verse goes something like it cannot be, it cannot be cut. It cannot be weathered by the wind. It was never born. It will never die. It has never come into being. Mm. It will never cease from being, you know, all these interesting descriptors in the Tao Te Ching, the same thing of this sort of like vast, empty womb like space mm. that all the stuff is going on inside of. And so this must be us and which is um I think maybe why it is so incredibly painful mm. when you find yourself compressed into this body and your identity and all of your preferences and you know depending on how firmly you're holding to them. It must be incredible it's incredibly painful. Yeah. To, I you think know, want I, to want to get your way, yeah. all that stuff. I thought that a lot. I, actually, it's, it's funny you say that because I was very much like, first of all, you're, you're clinging to the control of what you are and then you go into the goneness and then, you, and then you're obsessed with trying to get back there or certainly I was. I was like, get yeah. me fucking back there because whatever that was, that felt like a unifying sense and also it felt like the most expansive sense of myself in that, any experience sure. that I was trying to achieve in my life, whether that's, you know, doing something or avoiding death or, you know, uh, winning a claim or whatever those experiences were, all of it was both possible and impossible in one moment. It was mm. all on this plane. Yeah, and I was like, cool. I was like, well, this is, I have to, this is surely if there's any unifying sense that this is a unifying thing, because I cannot explain it. And like you say, well, as soon as I came back, I'm like, I can't, I can't explain or give this words or do anything. And I would, all I want to do is go back there. Yeah. Well, then this is why Chogim Trumpet Rinpoche really recommends disowning these experiences. His, he, he, you know, cause so many people when they're meditating, this was actually when I first started a, like a, a dialogue with the, my meditation teacher it began with me sort of describing to him uh, this incredible experience I had had while meditating. And, I wa and what was interesting about it to me was I wasn't on drugs. I, wa I wasn't high or anything. And I had that unitive, that mm. just, that thing happened minus the drugs. And so, you know, anytime any, any of us experience a thing like that, a lot of spiritual pride kicks in, a lot of clinginess and addiction mm. stuff. And like, Suddenly, every other time you're meditating, you're using this thing that's long gone as some kind of watermark. You start mm. weirdly thinking you've won or lost at meditation or whatever it is the experience you're going for. So the, the advice of just, yeah, it, something happened to you and it was powerful mm. and it taught you something, but it's gone now. Mm -hmm. And so you let it, you disown it, you completely let it go. And this is a process, I think, of learning how to like begin to just to, to let go of 
all of the that desire to try to achieve that state because it's a going to be impossible for you to achieve that state if you already are that state mm-hmm. it's a little it, you know you end up what you, what what you will end up doing is coming up with a kind of puppet hand puppet version of that state Mm-hmm. And then you'll get into this bizarre relationship with like an imaginary friend, mm. which is that state. Right. And then that takes up a lot of time yeah. and a lot of energy chasing it down. And and because it seems like if what they're saying is true, this is an act, this state is not as is, is you. It's it's maybe you could even say it's more you than you think you are mm. you. Right. It it's in and and that in the sense that we're talking about a thing. One thing, which is us, this kind of non-continuous, um, uh, very impermanent um, bundle of uh, a variety of things that we call us, our habits, our predispositions, all the subconscious shit. Mm. And underneath all that is just a kind of like, it gets described just like a, a pig rooting around in the dirt, this kind of just impulse to be. A, a being sort of thing. And these are called the skandhas, as I've heard them described. And they're sort of like these, they're, they're called piles, um, which it roughly means piles. So it's all these like of like fine sand and all of these piles of fine sand have mixed together to make a temporary you. Mm. And it's very convincing that to, it's a very convincing and it's very attractive to imagine that, that that's you, that there is a you or that, that there's some... Um, permanence or something to this situation. Mm. And and so what happens is by this sort of gradual analysis of all the aspects of yourself that you think are you, a, a, a natural kind of dissolution begins to happen. And then that liberation that you uh, are wanting to experience, it becomes, you know, you become more aware of the fact that you're already there. Mm. You know, and, and that, so it's, you know, this is why in Buddhism, this stuff gets described not as adding things on to your personality, but more kind of like, shedding. you know, shedding them. Ram Dass yeah. calls it, or polishing the mirror, you know, you're sort of yeah. gradually, gradually, gradually creating a, um, dissolving these, you're maybe not dissolving them as much as like, you become a little less convinced of their, yeah solidity yeah what was your um so how how did you start this journey yourself in terms of i mean i'm gonna say self-development but um i'm not sure if that how conscious that was for you if you're even involved in if you like that term but like when did did you always use drugs consciously or did you start as like a kind of wild teenager kind of thing like we all did and then go in at what point did you at what point did you say this is actually and could be a tool for my own development? And what was the purpose of the development for you? Thanks. That's a great question. Uh, so yeah, I, yeah, wild teenager. I mean, I, I just had some kind of an intuition that I needed to take LSD when I was in <laughs> high school. And, um, you know, I, I really do have a woo-woo belief that we kind of leave little breadcrumbs for ourselves or something, or that the, the universe gives you these sort of like little clues or something in the landscape of your incarnation. And 
these are things that you find them and then they lead to what mm. you're talking about, you know, uh, some kind of spiritual path. Mm. Um, you know, you go back and look at that book you found or the conversation you had or the, and it's always weirdly accidental or something. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I just had this intuition that uh, LSD, and I, it wasn't like I'm like, oh, get high on acid, man. It was, I'd already been like going to the library and reading about uh, like Tim Leary and these, yeah. you know, anti-drug books where where all these like sort of psychedelic luminaries of the '60s were painted as like essentially maniacs. Mm-hmm. And but I found it so fascinating. And so yeah, I, t- I started taking LSD uh, regularly. But you know, again, this is the fucking prohibition, man. We don't have the internet. Right. There's no way to look up the history of LSD, anything about it, how it's manufactured, why some acid feels different than, uh, you know, other yeah. acid, what a fucking microgram was, any of this stuff. We didn't know this. And, you know, again, this is the horrors of the goddamn war on drugs is that it left a lot of kids, you know, with legitimate, like, um, trauma that they needed to deal with. And they were intuitively trying to work through with these mm. psychedelics. Also in the back of their mind thinking, well, we're going nuts. Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, like we're, we're, this stuff is going to make like the 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 rumors that would float around. If you've taken more than three hits of acid, I don't know if y'all heard this one. If you've taken more than three hits of acid, you're legally insane. <laughs> Did you ever no, hear that one? I heard that. Good God, that was yeah. everywhere. No one, and no one, no one ever asked where. What do you register yeah. yourself? Post <laughs> what does it mean to be legally insane? <laughs> but you know, all these crazy, crazy like um uh awful myths or distortions of what the psychedelic state was really did i think um it created a kind of distraction that maybe uh prevented fully going into that place that people are going into now via psychedelic therapy yeah. or mm-hmm. you know not that you weren't getting incredibly high but you know for me if i'm like looking at I didn't even know what Buddhism was at the time, but I would always see these like, for lack, they must have Buddhist mandalas everywhere. What it was probably Sanskrit, like just everywhere. I just didn't have a reference point mm-hmm. to understand what I was looking at. And and so um, o- over the years, in fact, actually it was LSD that like my first real encounter with Buddhism happened while I was on LSD. I was talking to my friend at college. It was fucking cold. We're sitting outside for some reason. It's the middle of the winter. And he starts talking to me about the the um, noble truths of Buddhism. And he's like, hey, listen, have you ever heard this? Life is suffering. That's called dukkha. And I'm hearing it. But I don't know it's Buddhism. So I don't have all of the weight of a world religion or my expectations of what this shit is attached to it. I'm hearing it minus the label of Buddhism. You know, the cause of suffering is attachment. I'm hearing it and I'm like, I said, it's some kind of fucking Eskimo religion. I guess because it was so cold and I was on acid and I just, my brain was making these bizarre connections. But then he's like, no, that's Buddhism. And I'll never forget it. And I feel so lucky because... um, I got to encounter it without knowing what it was. Yeah. I got to encounter it just purely mm. philosophically, you know? Um, so yeah, and it, so I guess these experiences 
definitely helped me understand the 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 limitations of default reality, right? Mm. Like you you take psychedelics mm. and you know look at money, watch God forbid you watch TV, uh, <laughs> you know, or, or or any of the stuff that you've just kind of been conditioned by your entire life, and through the psychedelic lens, it suddenly seems plasticky, mm. garish, like limited, or, like com- limited and 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 you kind of see all the propaganda if you're watching the news on psychedelics Mm -hmm. immediately you realize oh shit like why are they why are they talking in that Mm -hmm. why are all those like why are they trying to scare me right so anyway you i think that encounter with default reality from the the psychedelic lens allows you to understand Maya illusion, Mm. you know, it really gives you a taste of like, this isn't quite as real as you thought it was. And so that's a natural from there. It's, it's a, it's an easy shift into like spiritual contemplation or beginning to study some of these scriptures that go into great detail. Isn't that what what Ram Das did essentially? Like he started in the, in the acid research with Tim Leary and then he like got to a point where it was like, right, I don't think I could possibly do any more acid and I can't do any more drugs than I've done. To go deeper now, (laughs) he had to go to India and like kind of start to study in that world. And then he came back, right. right? And then that was his next chapter of his life. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, he he. You know, if you if you ever do, you all listen to Steely Dan. Uh, not not a lot. There, I've, there's I've a, there's a song called uh, Kid not, Charlemagne. Not I don't listen to him either. I don't really like. I don't like him that much. I'm sorry, <laughs> God. I'm sorry for saying that. Jesus. Yeah. Well, take that and make sure you never get associated with Steely Dan. <laughs> Kid Charlemagne is a song that was written for the chemist that made the LSD that. Ramdas took to India. He was this famous chemist, Owsley, living in San Francisco. He was like just making this like in apparently like just magical LSD. Like people would come out and when he was delivering it around, they would bow to him like he was a saint because of this this like he was just making really really incredible acid. Which these days I think you it's people are finding it more obtainable than yeah. in the old days. But there was this terrible period where if you were going to get acid, it generally was kind of fucked up. Um, at least if you were living in North Carolina. Anyway, that Ramdas goes to, it was Richard Alpert at the time, yeah. goes through India with this incredible LSD and he's giving it to a variety of people who are, um, you know, have had a practice for a long time. And, you know, I think there was a, a legitimate, scientific interest in uh what people who had achieved like heightened states of consciousness or allegedly had achieved these heightened states of consciousness would say about the substance he wanted a map Mm. basically he wanted to you know because he was only understanding it from his western conditioning and so you know as the story goes he ended up meeting his guru neem Kroli baba um and had like you know the the one of the great one of the most amazing experiences i think that that a person can have especially someone who's coming from this psychedelic uh world view or whose whose heightened states of consciousness have mostly been associated with psychedelics is suddenly uh 
you know, he was around one of these beings who was, you know, demonstrating uh, that, 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 you know, the human mind is much more powerful than Western psychology had been able to quantify, mm. you know? And, and so th this person was a, like a, an awakened being. They exist, believe it or not, Neem Koli Baba. And um, this person like began to, you know, teach him uh, as his guru. And, you know, there's famous stories, hilarious stories uh, about his many encounters with like an awakened being. And, um, you know, one of them being that he had given Neem Karoli Baba some of this acid and he'd taken it and just nothing had happened. And so Ramdas had gone back to the United States, talked to some of his psychologist friends saying, you know, he, it doesn't affect him. He's awakened or something. And his friends are like, shut the fuck up. He palmed it. He's, they're like, these Babas are all over India. They're like street magicians. Like they're good at doing shit to make you think they're magical. But you got you tricked by, you know, just some charlatan. So he goes back to India to see his guru again. And when he's sitting with him, his guru says to him, last time you were here, did you, did you give me something? And he said, yes. And he goes, what did you give me? And he says, oh, LSD. And he said, did I eat it? Did I eat it? Because this is all coming through a translator, yeah. you know, and it's all coming from like, apparently being around this being, it was like, you know, just pure love. It was like, you know, just the it was, it was, it was a, a overwhelming to be around this. Um, and so Ram Dass, you know, was like, I don't know if you, I don't know. And so he holds his hand out and he's like, give, give it to me. Gives it, he puts a lot, like too much in his hand. And Neem Koli Baba, like one after the other, their tablets is eating them and eating them and chewing them up, opens his mouth. His tongue is coated with this, like probably LSD that would maybe put us in the hospital. Like mm -hmm. this is like hot. This is this, this guy's, this chemist who's making the LSD. He's the, you know, you see the cheesy dancing bears on deadhead bumper <laughs> stickers mm -hmm. that his nickname was bear. It was because he, this is the guy who was like funding the Grateful Dead with acid <laughs> sales. And so, so um, this is in Ramdas, suddenly it dawns on him like, oh, fuck. Like I just gave this guy like 10 times the, what would be like a high level dose of acid. And then Neem Karoli Baba like goes down under his blanket. He's writhing around, making these moaning noises. Now I have met people since going to the Ramdas retreats who were there so it, I, it's like who watched all of this go down. And the way Ramdas tells the story is he was kind of keeping his cool. But other people that I've talked to said, no, no, no. He was scared. His face was pale. He's like, oh my God, oh my God. He really thought he'd killed this like old Indian man with acid. And so then as the story goes, Neem Karoli Baba came out of his blanket laughing and then went about his day completely normal again. And uh, later like sitting with Ram Dass, he said to him, um, we used to have something like this in the uh, Indus Valley. Uh, and he said, this will bring you into the presence of Christ. Hmm. But the problem is it won't let you stay there. You know, so it wasn't like a dismissal of the substance or yeah. a don't take this. In fact, he said, if you are going to take it, take it in like cool climates. He gave him like 
you know, some advice on how to take LSD, but at, also within yeah. it was what we all have experienced, which is you got to fucking come yeah. down. It's mm-hmm. a window. That's it's just problem. a window really into to yes. seeing what's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to like say, like, how do you take in all of this and this kind of all these amazing experiences and the stories you've been saying, like, do, what do you think the, like the, the desire towards this kind of approach in one's life is fueled by, uh, in terms of, mm. you know, some people just don't ever go to this place. They don't, they live in the flat line mm. of life where their lows are not low and their highs are not high and they just kind of wing it. Um, for me at yeah. least, you know, I've been in addiction and come out of it and all that kind of stuff and, and redefined it in my own, um, process. And so I guess my question to you is that as well as like, what, what do you think, what, what was the drive towards going in this direction? And then how do you then ground what you've learned? Yeah. Well, I mean, I got, I'm lucky, you know, I, like I, I have a family and like, I, I have to, you know, Ramdas married my wife and I, like he did the, really? and, wow. and when he, yes. And he, wow. and it was amazing. And he, and he, he talked to us about how this is going to be our spiritual path. Like we're hmm. going to grow together. We're going to like our, our relationship will be a path and um, a practice. You know, it sounded great at the time. Um, but then once you've, are y'all married? I'm you divorced. No. Nah. Okay. So there you go. So you yeah. know, this shit is not easy. <laughs> and yes, yes. And, 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 and there comes a point in, I think, most relationships where you have to abandon your ego mm. or, you know, break apart from that person. Like you both have to melt into each other. You can't. You know, you, at some point, you, your defense mechanisms have got to like go down yeah. in the mm-hmm. midst of stress and all the stuff that goes along with being married or having kids. And so, um, but that's a lot, that's a real practice, you know? And so I guess what I'm saying is right now, it's over the years, my interest or in these sorts of things or my um, contemplation of them has waned and and sometimes I'm very obsessed with it and sometimes I'm not. But now it's more of a just a, I don't want my children mm. to experience like a, a, a turbulent childhood or an example of love that is marred by um, all the things many of us experience with our parents, you know, and all mm. the like watching two neurotic people either ignore the fact that they were having problems or go at each other's throats or whatever the fuck we all went mm. through, you know? So for me, there, there's a real earthy kind of motivation, mm. which is if, if I, if I, if I am not constantly attempting to go back into my heart and, and trying not to win every argument, you know what I mean? If I, if I'm not constant, then I, I get really mean, mm. defensive and shitty. And it's, it's like, yeah, that's a, for me. It's just earthy, kind of like I just want to be a good dad, and I want yeah. my kids to have a a good life, and my my wife too. Ever wondered about what happened before an innovator or entrepreneur had their "I got it" moment? I certainly have. That's why I've really been enjoying listening to "Before It Happened," hosted by Donna Laughlin. 
former journalist and storyteller with a captivating way to abstract the behind-the-scenes story. And now she's sharing those stories with me and you. Before any world-changing innovation, there was a moment, an event, a realisation that sparked the idea. Before it happened is a show about that idea. Donna lets us listen in as she speaks to visionaries, innovators, thought leaders, even me and Daniel from the Two Lads podcast. Every Thursday, without fail. So have a listen, rate it, review it, before it happened. Go check it out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, mate. It seems like there's a, what you're kind of describing all through this is there is a degree of surrender, right? And a surrender into the moment and uh, into people's idea of the lens that they see the world and, and doing it with your partner. Yeah. There is a sense that you both drop the lens and therefore in the dropping of the lens, you, there is a kind of communication that things are, don't matter as much, which sounds bad to some people, but actually is, it's yeah. actually the key to all of it. It yeah. seems is to not be yeah. so attached to any of it. Hell yes. I mean, that's it's. I mean, and also like, yeah, I wish we dropped our fucking lenses at the same time. That'd be great. But yeah. usually one of us is like really like holding up the lens and, you know, but I, it is surrendering to the, to the, this is another person mm. who is experiencing their own reality tunnel. And, and, you know, yeah. Do, do I think their reaction to this thing or that thing? I don't just mean your partner. I mean, any, like in general, if you think about when you're having conflict with someone, mm. at least for me, the first thing I'll think is what the fuck is what's wrong with them? What the really, <laughs> why'd you do, you're going to do that. That's fucked up. Why would you, oh, you think I'm like that. Mm-hmm. And like, instead of just accepting, like they think I'm like that, like, mm-hmm. or you know what I mean? They're, they're not, they're really unhappy with me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think I did anything wrong, but they do. Also, they, they can so see gone. you, they can, they, they might be seeing something that you're not seeing that your ego is getting in the way of, you know, it's hard to see that shit. Yes. You know, when someone's rubbing on some, on a wound of yours, the first normal reaction is fuck off, you know, get the fuck yeah. away from me. <laughs> yeah. Animal yeah. stuff. Just, yeah. ah, what's yeah. fucking wrong yeah. with you? Yeah. But like, you know, but yeah, the moment you like, as uncomfortable as it may be, the moment you sort of accept, you look, you don't have to accept, you don't have to do the thing where it's like, oh God, maybe they're seeing something in one of my blind spots. You actually just accept there's whatever they think they're seeing, whether it's an illusion or real, mm. to them it's yeah. real. Right. And so I think just to, like, you know, that for me has been really um very useful in getting like, because usually what's going along with that sort of conflict is someone's defense mechanisms are up too. Mm. And so you're seeing a lot of defensiveness, which usually looks like sarcasm or anger or, you know, negation or whatever. Uh, And so if you, what seems to go right through that is when someone realizes you're like listening to them and validating their reality Mm. instead of just, you know, telling, you know, just because, you know, you don't agree with them sort of, giving them the impression, oh, you're fucking wrong and I'm right. And this is like the one of the great teachings Ramdas gave us was um he would say, I think it's better to choose love over being right. Mm-hmm. And man, what a practice that yeah, is when brutal. you are right. <laughs> when you're right and you're <laughs> with someone and all the conditioning in me is like, okay, I'm right, they're wrong. Mm. And because they're doing something wrong to me, 
I'm going to punish them in some way or another to make sure it never happens again. Mm -hmm. This bullshit I learned from my parents. That works every time, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why there's world peace. Yeah, that's why there's planetary peace right now because like punishing people brings peace. (laughs) Exactly. That's where I'm not status. Yeah. You would say punish yes. now. More shame, please. <laughs> more, pl- please, more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that, what you're saying is so right on, man, because it just doesn't work. Mm. It doesn't fucking work. And at some point in a lifetime, you, you, you either realize that or you become like the worst kind of victim. You're, you're, you know, you're just blaming everyone. Yeah. And, and mm. you know, but once you realize, oh, shit, my defense mechanisms are not bringing any kind of lasting peace in my life, mm. then you can start experimenting with letting some other people around you be right yeah. for once and just loving them while they're being right. And you'll hear your friends in your head say, ah, oh, you're going to let them get it. You might, I have like in my head different, like yeah. it, people from the past will appear and be like, you're going to let them get away with that. <laughs> you sure you're going to do that? That's you gonna, know what I mean? Gonna, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I am. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. But and, it is hard. I mean, don't it is hard because Look, like it's no, it's not a doubt that the system that and the hierarchies that we've built in this, in this kind of mad reality that we are kind of perpetuating is, is everywhere. It's in front of you. It is, it is a really hard thing to break out of that particular treadmill. Yeah. And it, it, it's hard Mm. to know, you know, without, that's what I'm saying around, I, uh, plant medicine is it to me it was the only it was the only lever I could pull that got me out of this thing mm. and I, I I think sometimes it's hard for people to realize that the whole system is structured not just you know like what you're talking about is suffering the victimhood of this whole system you know of of whatever we call it is rigged in the wrong direction in, Mm. you know, in some way it's like we're rigged toward trying to make things a certain way, but the, the certain way is, is just a version of the thing that we're created in our brains, if you see what I mean. And so it, it seems like this whole, there's a lot of effort put in to just continuing this, um, show that we've put on, Yeah, but the show's the problem. I don't know if, if that kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I just feel yeah. very much like that. That's all. Sure. Our Isn't problem. that wild that when you start realizing that? It's just, it's wild. Like I, that's, I think that's where a lot of paranoid trips start happening too, right? It's because you catch that and then you, it's not that hard yeah. to go into like- it's an existential crisis. This, this is hell. An yeah. existential crisis. You start thinking your, your friends are demons. Yeah. Right. Trying to, or, or you think that you're trapped in some kind of like, you know, prison, like a the Matrix or- some right. you know gnostic hell where literally every single thing here seems do designed to mm. sort of uh, induce amnesia or distraction to keep you from mm. um, being in your heart or yeah uh, yeah so yeah I, I think this is this is the my meditation teacher said that so the first noble truth of Buddhism actually. It, it, the way it gets translated is life is suffering. Yeah. And then I've also heard it say, well, there is, su- there is suffering is a more accurate description. Instead of saying life is suffering, it's more like there is this suffering that your experience of mm. suffering is 
um, valid. In other words, yes, suffering mm. for sure. Without saying life or this or that, mm. there is suffering. What you're describing is suffering. It's like, uh, uh, the, anyway, the, the other translation is wobbly wheel. Like when you're riding a bicycle and the, uh, <laughs> the wheel's a little flat. And so things just mm. don't work out here. They're wobbly. It doesn't like, and so the way to mitigate that wobble uh, that a lot of people use is that's what you're talking about is weirdly the way they're trying to fix the wobbly nature of things only seems to be propagating the wobbly nature of things. Mm. So this is where the project starts right. of, okay, I'm going to ease my suffering by fill in the blank, find the right partner, get the right job, all the stuff, right? This is going to fix this thing that you've identified mm. and it never fucking works. It just distracts and distracts and distracts, but you'll try again and again and again. And this takes up an entire, this can, this apparently will take up infinite incarnations. This is, this is the we this wheel of suffering. So I'm sorry, mm. you know? And so, <clears throat> um, I think something in just the recognition, oh, right. Th this, there seems to be like a, a never ending game going yeah. on here. Mm. And, 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 and people are very committed to playing that game, to be playing the role of whatever their lives happen to be and, and really committing to that. I mean, my God, when you look around at anybody and you think, and you imagine what if they were actors, mm. you know, it's like, fuck, they're really good actors. Like they're mm. really doing, they're really killing it being whatever the fuck they are. The person at the grocery store, or the, mm. you know what I mean? They're so convinced that this must be what they yeah. are. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, I think that just something about the, you know, at least the way I've been taught is something in just that recognition of the suffering, yeah. non-judgmentally, not trying to immediately then go to war with the suffering, hmm. you know, or, or fix it or change it or, 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 or anything can, can, uh, it's a new, it's a new tactic versus all, all the other stuff we've all tried over and over again. When I'm hmm. at my most spiritual I always end up in the thought of it's all bollocks. And that's really like where I get to. Once I go through the ego death and the yeah. like fear and the struggling to let go of the life that I think mm. I am and the human I am and my friends and the world. And then I get to the other end of it and I go, it's all bollocks. It comes down and it gets real simple. And it's just, it is love. And like not in the kind of uh, romantic sense or, or the... Uh, uh, yeah. Um, what's that word that you don't like, Daniel? Um, sentimental sense. Sentimental, yeah. It's just yeah. love is really fucking brutal and it's hard, but it's also flowing. And it and and to me, that's where I landed in terms of what God is, spirituality, all those things. If you blow it all away, it's like just we're all humans. We're all trying to fucking figure this shit out. And we all just like mm. attach to these ideas and who we are and what we've gone through and our justifications for the actions that we have and all this kind of stuff. But when you really get quiet and you just get in front of another human and you're staring them in their eyes and you're connecting without speaking, yeah. it gets real simple, you know? That. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that. Hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, the prescription uh, Neem Karoli Baba gave, uh, which I, I think is a fantastic experiment, you know, people were always coming to him and, and asking him, uh, you know, they wanted powers. Like, you know, all these hippies are coming to India. They want to be telepathic. They want to actually project all this stuff. And he would say, if you want this, 
feed people. Mm. And, and so, you know, I think this, it, what, this is like, as far as I'm aware, one of his like primary instructions and uh, it, it's not, not meant to be taken like in some like yeah. metaphorical way. Like he literally meant like, uh, you know, go, go and get someone, a, like go a sandwich. get someone a, a sandwich. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. 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 And, and when you were saying it's simple, when you're looking, yeah. when you're just with someone, I think that that practice of every once in a while going and like make, giving food to people, mm. whether you know them or don't know them, uh, it brings you to that level mm. that you're talking about instantly. You're just suddenly you're right there and it mm. cuts all the other bullshit out. And that, that place, whatever that place is, that doesn't seem wobbly to no, me. Nah. That doesn't seem like a game to me. Yeah. It does, you know, it, it actually feels like home. It'd be amazing if this whole simulation is just we got you know the the, the passcode is just you have to go out and give people some food yeah. you know like and that's it that would be such yeah. a great like oh fuck why don't I think of that right in front of you, you man know? it was right in front of you it's right there but I think it, but that's it but you're right I, like there's there's so many things that we put on you know then there's like set up things to do this to do that and like most people you know uh, I'm in a lot of twelve step work and a lot of it is just going go and be with the person that you're sponsoring or go and, you know, yeah. feed. Some, it's like it's when it gets like that service, when it gets in that, it does something to you that no other version of this does. And yeah. yet we kind of, that's the last thing we go to when we're sitting in, you know, in some flat and being like, fuck my life, shit. You know, this is, yeah. It's, isn't that fascinating? It's mad. That's yeah. fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Or you do, or you do like people are like, I'm going to climb Everest yeah, or some yeah. shit, or they right. get into like, you know, that dates like wingsuit. They jump off a cliff in a fucking <laughs> yeah. wingsuit, or they are like do it. blowing like rails yeah. of, of ketamine, <laughs> whatever. When like you, you really, it's it sounds so cheesy and obvious and and, mm. and virtue signally, but truly, it's so easy mm. generally to go to the grocery store, go to the deli, get get some food, mm. and then just drive around. You will see someone who's hungry. And you give them the food and I, any, this to me, like it, it's kind of mind blowing how powerful that experience can be to mm. look someone in the eye, ask them their name, you know, cause a lot of people don't even ask their name cause they like try to invisible, turn them invisible. Yeah. And just like the, those moments are, are, are just, you know, for me, it's like, I'll be on the trampoline with my kid yeah. mm. and experiencing the same kind of joy that usually yeah. was like day three of Burning Man, four hits, <laughs> yeah. of, acid, four hits yeah. of acid, you yeah. know, and, and it's just the most seemingly mundane, normal thing. And yet it's like, yeah, heaven. I think people yeah. get a little bit overconfident in their uh, healing and uh, spirituality abilities or like these notions of world peace, for example, it's like, it gets a little big, you know, it gets a bit undoable. Yes. It's like, I want world peace or I want all these things. It's like, go home, love your family. If everybody does that, right, that that would create a chain reaction of all the things that you really want when you've got individual people looking after themselves yeah. with love mm -hmm. and the people in their community. It's like, that's doable. We can do that, mm. you know? Yes. But it's also that that's a start point, right? Like you go, if you went, got a sandwich and you went and found someone and you gave it to New York, then it, something will come of that is what is, it's the beginning. Right. It's the start. It's, it's like, it, you don't have to know what it's going to be. It's just that that's, 
this, these are the start points, this little inspiration points for kind of like that unity feeling that we, yeah, uh, you, you know, get from no other experience. Yeah. You're the the the, I, the thing you were saying about like the the idea the simulator idea. I I really like you know will entertain that idea, yeah. and I like the oh I or what are like I don't know if you ever have seen the Grant Morrison. He did this incredible lecture. It's on YouTube about chaos magic, but mm. he's like wild man. But he was just talking about how we're essentially like hyperdimensional larva, like we're godling larva that is being incubated in the time-space continuum in this illusionary reality that we're in, which is a kind of hologram where we're being trained. (laughs) Yeah, it's trippy, man. I'm on that. I'm on that. You will love it. He is a a god. Graham Morris is probably a god. But the, the, um, the simplicity, it would make sense if we are like, like being trained or something, or we're sort of larval immortal beings that are being taught impermanence and being taught the importance of compassion and giving because the last thing you want rampaging around the universe is a selfish, angry, Mm. violent, self-absorbed God. Mm. That would be dangerous. We don't want that. So if we are going to spawn immortal beings, you would maybe sort of dip them into the illusion of impermanence over and over and over and over again until they (laughs) finally got it, which is just bring someone some fucking food. Once you do that for a life, you can make black holes and planets and teleport and all the cool shit you dream about now, but just get some soup, bring it to somebody. It's just make some sandwiches. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very simple, very simple, infuriatingly so. Hello, everybody. So in addition to focusing on mental health, we've been learning a lot about the importance of digestive health here at The Two Lads. We have been looking around for the best kind of daily symbiotic, which is a probiotic and a prebiotic, and we found the company Seed. Now, Seed is formulated for digestive gut, immune, and additional systemic body benefits. It is sustainably delivered each month with its shipping box constructed from ecological paper made from algae. I am extremely impressed, and I really mean this, with not only the product and the science behind it, but all their packaging and their brand values. I like that they make you really look at the science of this and I like that they don't use plastic. And it's a really great company. Uh, You should check it out. I've been taking seed now for a a few months and can feel the difference just in my energy levels and in how I sleep, in how I digest things. So if you want to try this broad strain daily symbiotic too, visit seed.com and use the code two lads at checkout to receive 15% off your first month of seed delivery. Try it out. Check it out. That's the code two lads to receive 15% off your first month of seed daily symbiotic capsules. Amazing, man. Um, I wanted to just maybe we're coming up to this hour, and I just wanted to say something specific about masculinity, if if we could, just because we're doing this sure. podcast kind of came through me and Daniel connecting and and working with other men in a men's team that we do, and just kind of wanting to find support for men and how men don't 
get that opportunity as much in today's society mm. and and so we're kind of consciously trying to understand why we feel the way we feel and uh, have the ability to communicate with uh, our partners and friends and all the things right so and yeah. how we grew up as kids through um and our own parents and how our fathers taught us and all that so uh question is really like in in your in your words what what do you think masculinity is and how important is it in in the balance of things and as a father you know what what's that what's your responsibility there okay yeah that's a great question um there okay so there's a uh wonderful teacher the zen roshi roshi joan halifax and she has a saying strong back soft front and this (laughs) is a buddhist idea this idea of What's a warrior? So, uh, you know, Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche would use the idea of the warrior a lot. Hmm. And right now our idea of a warrior, sadly, I think a lot of our ideas of masculinity uh, are related to two world wars. You know, the United States has been at war for something like, I think, 93% of its history we've been at war. And so right now a lot of people are being raised by people with severe PTSD. You watch... Um, a lot of these movies, like, you know, John Wayne movies, which portray this kind of like old idea of what it was to be a man. You don't Mm. say when you're hurting, you Mm. don't talk about your feelings, all this shit are like symptoms of PTSD. Like, and so I think what happened is a lot of like the wars happened. Our dads went to war or their dads went to war or there were like some epigenetic shit from war. And so our role models have been for what a strong man is, Mm. is actually what it looks like when you're, when you have like PTSD, you don't talk about your feelings. The reason you don't talk about your feelings when you have PTSD is because you're, you will go, it can trigger if you're in like a, a constant state of like stress. And so anything, like you're always at an eight or a nine, you know what I mean? So it's very easy for them to blow up and rage. And the, anyway, so my, my, my idea of mas- of masculinity right now is <clears throat> strong back, soft front. Like I've done, like I, like the, all my ideas of like winning or power or like, you know, might makes right. All the shit that I learned from, you know, like that that archetype of the strong male or whatever i'm just reprogramming that in my in my own life so that mm. it's you know it's a lot it's man you want to talk about fucking hard <laughs> try to like be tired and annoyed and stressed out and um and 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 just generally feeling like shit and you just want to go be by yourself or something like that and and then like working on like being completely present with your kids or your wife or opening up even though you know in that space and and or or i guess to simplify it what happens if you don't let anger be one of the the tools you use in your efforts at creating a community in your family or whatever mm-hmm. if you don't you if you no longer have anger if like some someone plucked anger out of your now that you can't feel it that angry reaction, the defense mechanism, what would happen if someone plucked that away from you? What mm. would you do? Mm. You know, and for me, you know, like it's the most vulnerable shit <laughs> to know in my heart, I'm not going to resort to 
all the angry patterns I learned from my parents. Mm. I'm going to listen, stick to my boundaries, but not stick to my boundaries, but stick to my boundaries. Mm. Listen, stay open, you know, express love, cheesy shit. I'm in therapy, y'all. I'm sorry, but like, I'm in therapy right now. I had, I'm in trauma therapy. I had a really rough childhood. I'm getting working on that stuff right now. Mm, yep. So uh, I'm cheesy right now. We're right now. there with you, but brother. Like, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Cool. Therapied up the wazoo, Duncan. Oh, we're British. For here. Yeah. <laughs> we got. <laughs> we got a lot there. We got a lot to unpack. I'm, yeah, go on. Sorry. I'm sorry. I overtalked that. I mean, just you know. No, it's brilliant. I, I love this idea of being in 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 PTSD. That that feels very true. Uh, and being back, I'm here in in London filming at the moment, and uh, and I and it's generations worth of PTSD, right? Like yes. that, that we're in this mode of it's here. It's empire, right? Expand the empire, and it's still in your body to keep yeah. this structure in this thing. So I love that idea. I guess like what does strong back is, is just, you mean just the, the boundaries is what you're talking about there. Then therefore, yeah. Like, yeah. And, the and showing yeah. up and being there and showing up and hmm. sticking to like, really sticking to the, like, uh, you know, in Buddhism, it's called nonviolence, ahimsa. And so it's like going from, like the, contemplating these things or, or whatever your spiritual path may be, but to really committing to it. So now you're doing it now, mm. now, even now you're, you're really like committing to that. That takes a lot of strength and the soft front. It means we're going to experience this shit as it is, you mm. know, like in all mm. of its, in all of its wobbliness and all of its, like all the parts of yourself you want to ignore. For me, that was ignoring an entire decade of, you know, mm. what I think for lack of a better word would be called abuse yeah. and like pretending that's not what happened. A mad, no, that didn't happen to me. All the shit that goes along with someone who's experienced yeah. that. And like, and then have, fucking for me, that means like, and I know for y'all know what I'm, anyone listening who's in therapy, it <laughs> means when I'm pulling into the parking lot, not turning around and going back home. <laughs> I don't want to sit in that fucking room and like go into the past and like, and, and stop ignoring it. You know, this is a thing uh, my, my therapist has told me when I've been doing the work and I'm remembering something I don't want to remember. I will say, I don't, I can't, I, I don't, I can't. And she will say, you know, trust me, the pain you're going to feel from this memory is nothing compared mm. to the, everyday experience of like trauma it's yeah. in your body that hasn't yeah. resolved How you react you know? to the world so, because of it exactly yeah yeah and then this is a very buddhist idea which is the more you can stop ignoring your own suffering and or the parts of yourself that you don't want to believe are there yeah. or the you know what you're talking the that thing that you stumble upon where you realize like, holy fuck, this entire place is mm. it's just suffering. And mm -hmm. then you want to ignore that. So you pour yourself into your work or, you know, this to me, that's the soft front yeah. part, which it's mm. like, I'm going to show up for this, you know, with the intention of um, bringing peace to the world in my mm. own tiny little mm. way. 
Well, I no. think you do it, you know, I think you do it consciously and unconsciously in how vulnerable, certainly like you've been on this, but that's kind of what Leggy and I try and strive to do is like, we've got to go first, Duncan, you know, in some way, if yeah. you're going to reprogram this thing, you have to go, okay, you can't go, all right, all of you got to be vulnerable. You got to be like, look, this is, I've had these addictions. These are the fucking, this is the fucked up shit I've done in my life. And yeah. I know it's yeah. fucked up and I'm trying to work, you know, yeah. there's got to be, we've got to have some kind of conversation on the table that looks like here it is. Cause it's not, you know, we can be fixed as long yeah. as we express it like you're doing in therapy, right? Like as long as there's a vulnerability yeah. in saying we don't have it together, actually, I'm a bit fucked. Yeah. yeah. And, and might, might I say, this is, this is like uh, uh, in Buddhism, everyone talks about the first two noble truths, which is like, you know, suffering. No one talks about the last two, which is this can end. This suffering can actually end. It's the, mm. it, you know, this is what Buddha, Buddha famously said is I teach suffering and the end of suffering. And yeah. no one wants to talk about the end of suffering because we're all <laughs> like, like in the shit. And it's, yeah. and, and so I think what you're doing is great. Because people, people need to, like a lot of people know that they're not something. This is not a way to live. Mm -hmm. This is every, this is not a, uh, I'm hurting people. If people around me are, are, are hurting because of the decisions that I'm making when I'm reactive and I don't want to live like this anymore. But I, 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 you know, when I first started therapy with this person, I said to her flat out, I'm like, I just have to tell you. I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> I just can't imagine that you're going to change this in me. I've struggled with it my whole life. I don't think it's going anywhere. Mm. And she got the biggest smile and was like, it works, yeah. but you got to keep coming to therapy. Yeah, and, right. and she was, she was right. And I think people need, that's the main thing. People that when you, as Ram Dass puts it, when you work, we work on ourselves so we can help the people closest to us. Yeah. And when you start doing that work, it's not just like your behavior. It's not just like the good you're giving people is that you're now going to be kinder and, uh, and more compassionate and more open. But also the, the gift you're giving people is you can honestly say, I'm 30% less in hell mm. now. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was never going to happen. Mm. And, you know, to me, that's an incredible thing that you can give people. Mm. Uh, like, and, 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 and I, I'm happy to hear that that's what y'all are doing because that's what the world definitely could yeah. use. Start mm. with a bit of compassion. Yeah. Um, Duncan, thanks so much, man. What a beautiful conversation we've had. Yeah. Ah, thank you. Y'all are such good interviewers. We are. Thank you for letting me ramble. <laughs> you are professional. No, this is incredible. Thank you. Uh, you it's so to, nice you have to, getting to like, meet you and chat with you. When you come back to LA from your uh, your country yeah. jaunt, you have to you know we'll come, come back to the yeah, lads. Come to the lad we'll, lair. Get, we'll get you into the lag, lad lair, and you can come hang out in LA. I want to see the lad lair. Will you all come on my? Will you come on yeah, my absolutely. podcast? Oh, for sure. We'd love yeah, to. Yeah. Love to. We're, okay. We're, cool. I appreciate that. I'm gonna. I'll have my assistant set that up. I thank you so much yeah. for this wonderful conversation, yeah, I was, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in person. Absolutely back in, the, in I, LA. I, I would love that, Duncan. Thank you so much. And I want Midnight Gospel season two. So <laughs> well, Netflix. Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'll get Duncan, it. Thank you so much, Thank you so much, man. Have a great Thank one. you, Duncan. Cheers, Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to that episode of the Two Lads podcast with Duncan Trussell. Hope you enjoyed it. Please leave comments below. 
hit the like button, do all that good stuff on YouTube. And if you listen to this podcast, we'd still love to hear from you in any other way that you'd like. We hope you're enjoying season two of the podcast. We've got some awesome guests coming up that I can't even believe that we managed to get, but we did. And next week, it's going to be uh, me and Daniel talking about, we don't know yet, but we'll let you know. Uh, have a beautiful week. Lots of love. Yes, lad. <laughs>